Your children will inherit your sins. It's called generational sins. If you lie, steal, and cheat, then your kid is going to lie, steal, and cheat. If you don't go to church, your children won't go to church. If you wear elevator pants and get a hair perm, then your children are going to get elevator pants and hair perms. Kids always want to be exactly like their parents. If you put your left foot in and take it out, so will they. So you better do the hokey pokey and turn yourself around. This is The Bible After Hours. Can you hear me? Is this thing on? Okay, good. I am the Foulmouth Preacher, and this is the Underground Church. The word vulgar originally just meant to speak the language of the people. That's what Jesus did. That's what the apostles did. That's what we're going to do here today. So, if you have children listening, I'm the Foulmouth Preacher. Maybe listen to this some other time. The church above wants you to believe that our children are going to be just like us pretty much in every way, is what they seem to be teaching. Many in the church above teach that if you, you know, do everything according to the Bible, raise your children up right, that they're definitely going to be saved, have the same religion as you, and if you don't go to church, your kids aren't going to go to church. That's what they teach a lot of the times. Many are made to feel like their fuck-ups are going to follow their children's lives forever. Even worse, some of us are unintentionally made to feel like if our parents are fuck-ups, then we're going to be fuck-ups too. And our children are going to be fuck-ups. So we shouldn't have kids because our parents were fuck-ups and we're going to pass that along. I don't think the church above means to make people feel this way. And a lot of churches don't. But too many do. Many feel like they have to pay for the sins of their parents. Or they have to live up to the expectations of their family legacy. And they can't amount to anything unless their parents were good Christians, pastors, doctors, something of the sort. Again, I really, really, maybe I just don't want to believe that churches aren't trying to make people feel this way, but they teach this. And some of it, some of it seems like it's in the Bible. We're going to talk about that today. Do your fuck-ups pass down to your children? Have you fucked your children up because you lived whatever kind of life you wanted to when you were younger? Or do you have to live up to your parents' fuck-ups, to your parents' righteousness? Or is sin imparted to you? Is righteousness imparted to you? What sin, what harm, what trauma can go from generation to generation? That's what we're going to talk about today. I personally had it kind of easy in this regard. You know, my father was a missionary. I grew up in the church. My parents never made any mistakes that I was aware of. They were fucking perfect. That meant I was supposed to be perfect, though. That meant if I fucked up, it's because they weren't raising me the right way or the way the Bible said. They must have done something wrong if I fucked up, right? If I fucked up, it meant I wasn't living up to what they and the whole church expected of me. It was never put into so many words, but I knew I was expected to grow up a pastor or a saint or a doctor. Eventually, I would become a pastor, you know. If I'm a preacher, I am actually a pastor. Um, I work at the Methodist Church, but it only happened after a whole lot of fuck-ups on the way. I rebelled. I ran, and I tried hard to get away from the burden of expectation that were placed on me. I didn't want to be a pastor. I didn't want to be a saint or some godly person or work in the church. I wanted to live my life, so I fucked up, and I kept fucking up. And I kept feeling more and more guilt for it because my parents were missionaries. They were good people, and I was a fuck-up. It was too much of a burden for me to live with the weight of the expectations that was placed on me just for being my parents' child. And yeah, I said, I had it easy. 
right? I, you know, I just had to live up to good expectations. I had a lot of friends who had the opposite problem. It was much worse for them. Their parents were either drug addicts, convicts, alcoholics, and the church knew about it, right? You know, and of course no one was intentionally going out of the way to make them feel like shit, but they were never openly judgmental. They were never intentionally bitchy towards my friends or anything, but if something was missing from the youth house, we knew who the first suspect was going to be, right? If someone started cussing in youth group, some parents were probably going to assume it was the bad influences, these friends of mine that had these parents. They were definitely watched closer and treated differently because of who their parents were, even if it wasn't on purpose. Do we pass on our fuck-ups? Do we pass on the shit? Even as adults, many of us are living with the consequences of who our parents or grandparents were. I know people who grew, who grew up in the foster system whose children are hurt because they don't know their grandparents. I know parents who were once drug addicts and live in fear that the church is going to find out one day that they used to be drug addicts. They're afraid because they know that the church is going to treat their children differently if they find out. I know pastors who are afraid that their children are going to feel the pressure that I did and rebel. You know, there's two different stereotypes with pastor's kids. There's either they're goody two-shoes, don't know anything about the world, or they're the rebel, they're the bad kid. And it is. It's it's because of those expectations. You parent pastor's child, you must be rose according to the Bible, which must mean you're perfect. I've heard too often preachers talk about generational curses. You know, this sermon's given a lot. That, you know, I had a porn addiction, so my kid's going to have a porn addiction. Or I used to have a stealing problem, now my kid has a stealing problem. They place this weight on us to pray and break the cycle. If your parents did this, then you got to break the cycle so you don't pass it on to your kid. you got to pray and break that cycle. I, I personally, I, just, I think it's a bunch of bullshit. We're told to honor our parents and to break the curses of our parents by the same preacher. How the fuck am I supposed to honor them and all I do and respect them? And then also, whatever sins they did, I'm also accountable for and I have to break. Like, I can't do all that. No one can do all that. All the weight of our parents is placed on us. And all our mistakes, all our righteousness, whatever, that turns into weight that our children have to bury. So personally, I think generational sin, generational curse, whatever, is just a bunch of bullshit. But generational trauma, that's fucking real. As silly as it sounds in Kanto, I think preaches this better than most churches do today. You know, the story of Encanto, it's a Disney movie. It's the story of a miracle that saved a family. And then it goes through the hurt and the expectations that were passed down. This miracle happened, so they have to live a certain way. They have to be, the, you know, the light to the city. They're expected to do all this. And then one, one child doesn't give a special gift or whatever. And all that weight is concentrated. All that weight put on her. So what you see is, yeah, the blessings passed down, but then so did the weight of expectations in this movie, right? And I think that's that's very real. It's real in and out of the church. We have this weight of the generations before us. If they fucked up, then we are burdened with the responsibility to make right for it and to break the cycle. If they lived great lives, then we are burdened to live similarly. And I think a similar message is seen in Judges 11. You know, we've been going through Judges, not chapter by chapter, but just kind of my favorite story, but through my favorite story, or not even my favorite. Some of these suck. Today's suck. Today's going to be a shitty fucking story. But I think we go through the important stories is what I'm doing. And I, I can't skip over the story of Judges 11 with Japheth. He was a judge. We see him affected by his parents. And we see his, just his stupidity with his daughter. 
The story does not have a happy ending like Encanto. Healing was never possible for Japheth's daughter. If you are sensitive to some forms of trauma, family trauma, sexual trauma, cut this one off. We're going to get into the story, and it is dark, traumatizing. It's triggering. So here's your trigger warning. We're going to talk about it. Typically, the story of Japheth is told in two separate parts. One is the story of God using a man to save Israel. You know, one of the judges, right? And the other story we usually do separately, and it's this foolish oath. You know, he made a stupid promise, and then he ended up, his daughter paid the price of his stupid promise. I think this kind of this kind of telling of the story robs us of the parallelism and the meaning that the author meant. Um, this is why I don't like verses in the Bible. You know, we, we, that was not originally put in there for chapters and verses and all the little numbers. I like chapters. I like, you know, being able to point to, okay, here's where this story happens. But verses, I think, breaks it down too far and it allows people to miss some of the points of what the author intended. And this is one of those examples. How the church has viewed the doctrine of original sin um, it's largely been impacted on how the church has treated generational sins or trauma. That's what we're talking about today, right? So, you know, if you think original sin and sin is passed down from person to person, then you think that, of course, my sin is going to be passed down to my kids the same way Adam's sin was passed down. If you think the consequences are passed down but not the sin, that's going to affect your view too. And that, that's going to be my view. I think our fuck-ups end with us. But the consequences to the shit we do, those consequences live on. It wasn't until around the 4th century that the doctrine of original sin came about. Um, the doctrine of original sin is just this idea that Adam's sin passed on to all of us, so we're all born sinners because of Adam. It wasn't until the 4th century. 400 years of the Bible was around before someone came up with that. Um, before that point, we have church fathers like Tertullian, Hermes the Shepherd, Origen, all teaching and believing that Adam's sin led to death. Death of the Spirit. And that death, we're all born into death. We're all born with our spirits dead and needing to be open, needing to be made alive again. But we're not born with guilt. We're not born with sin. The first 400 years, that was not what the church taught. We, we taught we were, that death carried on, but that guilt and sin did not. We inherit the consequence of sin, but not the sin or guilt itself. And through Jesus, we're able to have our souls awakened and come alive again. Fourth century, St. Augustine. I love a lot of his stuff, but not this. He came up with this idea of the original sin, what we were talking about, and how sin was passed down from person to person. He claimed that we were all guilty of Adam's sin, and we all need to accept salvation and <laughs> to receive the guilt, to reprieve the guilt. We all need to accept salvation because we're all guilty of sin, and we need to be healed of that sin. And the sin we're guilty of was passed down through Adam, through genetic code, blood, whatever. Augustine's going to say that the proof of his, his view is that the desire for each person is evil from birth. Even from young age, you see them trying to steal candy, trying to do this. If you heard preachers talk like this, they're talking about original sin, you know, that our desire to sin, sin itself was passed down from Adam and that we're all born sinners this way. You have the reformers, John Calvin, Martin Luther, and others, they added to this. You know, they said, amen, and they said, yes, and they added, even after salvation, that desire towards sin remains. So not only do we inherit sin and because we inherit sin we're already sinners and we want to sin more but the, the reformers added to that and said not only are you already a fuck up at birth you're born a fuck up you keep wanting to fuck up even when you're saved you're made right in god and he paid the price for you you're still gonna want to fuck up that desire is still part of what it means to be human thanks to adam's shit 
That's why we have to constantly ask for forgiveness according to them. That's why we are made to feel like shit for how shitty we really are, even after accepting salvation. We're still shitty. What does salvation do? It means you're going to go to go to heaven, but you're still shit until then. I love a lot of what the reformers did, a lot of what Augustine did. I don't like how they reshaped our theology around this idea of original sin. I think it fucked up with a lot of people. It caused a lot of trauma, a lot of generational trauma, a lot of shit, because they got this doctrine wrong. This is why so many churches today are filled with Christians who, who just feel like shit, you know, like I did. They feel like they're still fuck-ups. Like they can never be good enough. Christians who feel like fuck-ups. Shit. Like they're never good enough. Christians who feel like they'll never be good enough for the God who died for them, who they've accepted salvation and love from. This is why so many people come up with ideas or hold on to the notion that our sins are inherited by our children and we need to bear the burden of our parents' fuck-ups. But it's bullshit. It's all just bullshit. Let's go to the Bible. The Bible... <laughs> the Bible goes back and forth on this one. Um, you know, like I said, I don't I don't believe in inerrancy, but I, I think the Bible struggles with itself. And in that struggle, we can find truth. In a lot of places, we see examples that uh, kind of uphold this idea of original sin or guilt that came from our parents, right? Generational stuff. But if we look closer, I think you see that... Thousands of years of indoctrination is filtering what we read. And that really, if you read it for what it is, the consequences bounce, pass down. The consequences affect generations, but not the sin. Not everyone's guilty of one man's sin. That's some dumb shit. We see that no one is good. No, not one. We see a message of life and hope through Jesus. We don't see a vision of struggling and feeling guilty and shame our whole lives through Jesus. We see a message of hope and freedom. So why then are we teaching that you should still feel like shit? Why then are we teaching that we're still fuck-ups if Christ paid the price? Why are we teaching that I'm going to do the same sins my parents did if Christ paid the price? Why are we letting people in our churches be filled with guilt and shame and trauma over a lie rather than the hope, freedom, love, life that is in the truth, capital T, Jesus Christ? Moreover, there's places in the Bible that, that we see Saul's lineage punished for Saul's fall, right? Saul loses the throne for his stupid shit and his whole lineage. There will never be another king. Some of them even die because Saul fucked up. I told you, the Bible wrestles with this. We see where the prophet Eli, he was punished for his kids' actions. God punished him because his sins fucked up and he didn't raise them right. And that seems like judgment due to our family sin, right? I mean, like, yeah, inherited guilt. Or this way, like the other way around, guilty of not raising your kids right or not stopping them is what I would argue. I would argue he wasn't punished because his children fucked up. He was punished because he didn't do anything about it. But you could see those arguments on both sides. You could see the struggle here in the scripture. We also see where Jesus sees a blind man. Everybody's like, oh man, it was because of his family. It's because of this, it's because of that. And he's like, no, it's not because of his parents. He was born blind that it might bring me glory. So in this instance, it wasn't. The punishment wasn't just because his he fucked up or because his family fucked up. It was made clear in the book of Job that neither him or his children or his family sins. Like, that's not why he's being punished. He's not being punished for anyone's fucked up. He's being punished because God had a bet. Some dumb shit. The picture of the Bible really shows us is that our actions have consequences. Sometimes those consequences hurt more than just ourselves. Your actions have consequences. 
There's no way around that. And sometimes those consequences are going to hurt more than yourself. Even after you repented, even after you tried to make atonement or penance or whatever, those consequences still have actions. Our fuck-ups fucked something up. You don't just get to fuck up and nothing happened. When you fuck up, something gets fucked up. Rather, we see the Bible wrestle with the idea of who gets punished for sin. Who is it? Who deserves the punishment? How does our family's wrongs impact us? The Bible struggles with all these ideas, with generational trauma, with sin, all of these things. The story of Japheth in Judges 11 brings more clarity to this struggle, but it does it in a traumatic and deeply sad story. The Bible even describes him and says that he was worthless. Have you ever felt worthless? So worthless you think the Bible would call you worthless? That was Japheth. But God chose Japheth. God chose him. The people of Israel were enslaved again. You know, we talked about that sin cycle. They keep, you know, doing right, and the judge comes along and frees them, and then they sin, and they fall away, and they get enslaved again over and over and over. The, the whole story of Judges is just the people of Israel fucking up over and over, and God still choosing to love them. Well, here, they fucked up. They're coming back. God chooses Japheth to free them this time. He chooses to love them through Japheth, through his chosen person, whom he especially loved, Japheth, the son of a prostitute. Japheth questioned, why did the people want him now? The people of Israel come to him. He's like, why do you want me now? You didn't want me before. But eventually he came to the rescue, right? He prayed first. And here's where the story gets tragic. He prayed before he came to the rescue. He knew he was chosen by God. His, his consequences of his parents were somehow wiped away. He's able to be his own person and God, make his own story now. He broke the cycle that everybody talks about, that dumb shit, right? He prays. And he tells God, listen, whatever... Um, I want to give a sacrifice to you, and the first thing I see when I come back home, I'll sacrifice it for you if you let me win this battle. So he goes out, and he wins the battle, and he comes back, and the first thing he saw was his daughter. His young virgin daughter. And, long story short, she begs to go have one last party with her friends to mourn the fact that she'll always be a virgin, mourn her death, and they go out, they have this, come back, and she's killed from her own father. Because of his oath. And usually, you know, the way this is interpreted is, oh, he made a stupid oath and you're not supposed to make stupid oaths. That's not the story. There's some parallelism here. Yeah, I know it's fucked up. I know it's dark. But we got to look at this for what it is. God chose Japheth regardless of his parents' sin. But then, Japheth killed his own daughter because of his own sin. The sin of religion. sin of false worship. I would say the sin of blasphemy. He attributed to God what was not God's. How do we know this? Deuteronomy clearly states, and at this point, that's like all the Israelites are supposed to have the whole you know law memorized. When you read this, you have the law of God in your mind, the Torah, the first four or five books, the Pentateuch, yeah. And it says, you do not worship God the same way that the other people worship their gods. They do some dumb shit. This is like the my paraphrase of the Bible. So they do dumb shit like sacrificing their children. God does not want to be worshipped this way. The Bible explicitly says it. Deuteronomy 12.31. It was clear this was a sin. So the story isn't, oh, he made a dumb oath. The story is, God chose him regardless of his parents' sin. And then, God allowed his daughter to be killed because of his sin. The parallelism is, the parent's sin, the consequence, was wiped away from Japheth. But the consequence of his sin was permanent for his daughter. Many people fall and away from God because their parents cared more about religion or transactionalism than they cared for their own families. Or their parents 
didn't worship God with love, but rather they worshiped God in the way that the other religions do. It's a clear sin. Japheth ruled as judge for, for many years after this. He was a good judge because God chose him regardless of his family's sin, even regardless of his sin. But his daughter died a virgin. That's direct contrast to his mother, the prostitute. His daughter died a virgin. His mother died a prostitute. His consequence was wiped away. His virgin daughter died because of his fuck up. The consequence of his sin could not be wiped away. The biblical author shows this clear contrast in how sins of the parents may or may not in the life, end the life, not just affect, but end the life of their children. For a moment, that was Japheth, right? He was kicked out of his home. He was traumatized by what his parents did. His life was ended in a way. He was able to come back. But his daughter, her life was, was truly ended, and she could not come back. Sin has consequences. So does love. Love has consequences. Sin has consequence. The consequence of Japheth's mother's prostitution was his exile. The consequence of his sin was his daughter's death. The sin wasn't inherited. The consequence was, your fuck-ups still matter. Your fuck-ups still fuck something up. Generational trauma is real. The consequences of sin are real. Love is real. We all have control over our own actions. Do we act in love? Do we act in selfish desires? Religious fervor? Transactionalism? What? What are we acting in? We have a choice. And there's consequences for our choices. We're not guilty of our parents' sins. We don't have to live up to our parents' righteousness. Their sins and righteousness aren't impeded onto us, but the consequences exist. God's law isn't just there for shits and giggles so that, hey, if we live right, we go to heaven. If we don't, we go to hell. No, that's not what God's about. God's about the well-being of all of us. God is about love. God is about prospering everyone. So it's not God punishing them for their sin. If you notice, God didn't come down and kill his daughter. He killed his daughter. God put in rules that would have allowed love and would have kept things from getting fucked up. But we fucked up. And what we fucked up got fucked up. Trauma and consequences are real. If you need it, seek help. Seek healing. If you have a local church, ask them to connect you with a psychiatrist who specializes in family trauma. A good church will have some of these connections if you need them. If you don't carry the guilt of your family or the expectations of them, praise God. But think about the consequences of your own actions. Are you acting in love? Are you acting in sin? Are you acting in selfishness? Religious fervor? Transactionalism? Act in love. Your fuck-ups will fuck something up. Your love will only lead to the prosperity of others. Love others. There are consequences. In the opening chapter of the New Testament, we see something incredible. A genealogy. Everybody loves genealogies, right? This genealogy shows the story of how God chose all mankind. But then Cain sinned, so God's lineage departed from him. So we keep following this genealogy. And we see it again when it comes to Jacob. And oh, Okay, so now Esau gets kicked out. We follow Jacob. And then David's especially chosen. So everybody else is kicked out. And it just keeps narrowing and narrowing, right? This genealogy goes from everyone being included. And you see more and more God's chosen people narrowing. The Old Testament is a story of fuck-ups who lost their way. Until the story comes to a point where just one man, the child of God, brings salvation to everyone who will call on him. Jesus, that little boy in the manger. What a beautiful genealogy. Our fuck-ups have consequences. But so does love. What Jesus did has consequence in each of our lives. Then you see in the book of Acts, the gospel is spread one by one to the lands of these people who turn from God. You see the land of Cain chosen. You see the land of all these people 
that were excluded from God's chosen people. Suddenly, people from these lands, from these nationalities, these groups, are reached in the book of Acts, if you read carefully. So whether you believe in the doctrine of original sin or not, Jesus came to heal any pain, sin, or evil consequence that was passed down to us. We have to accept love, accept salvation, and we have to spread that. That is the consequence of love. You spread it. There's more benefits to other people's lives. Salvation is accepted. Prosperity is spread. Not a prosperity gospel. We're not all going to be rich and well done. But as you love others, they will be blessed by your love. Love isn't just some kind of feeling you have towards people. Love is when you go give that person a sandwich. Yeah, they prospered because you fed the hungry. That's what love is. Not a prosperity gospel. But people prospering because we love. Not because of some Christian version of karma where if you do good, good things happen. No, that's, that's bullshit. But as you love people, they're going to benefit from your love. As the church loves, there will be consequences to that love. The hungry will be fed. The sick will be healed. The poor will have homes. The church fucks up and we spread hurt and trauma. As sexual abuse continues to go on, as cults are formed, trauma occurs, hurt occurs, pain occurs. There's consequences to the fuck-ups. There's consequences to acting in love. Choose one. If you've been carrying the weight or guilt of generational sin or trauma with you, please talk to someone in your family. Um, if it's sin, you know, if it's trauma, seek help. If it's, it's sin that you're worried about being passed down to you, talk to someone in your family or a close friend about that weight that you feel. Again, trauma, go to a psychiatrist. But if you feel that weight, the pastor keeps talking about generational sin and you're going to do the same things your parents do or what you do is going to pass on to your kids. If you feel that way, talk to someone in your family about it. They probably can relate and you can probably push through together. Try to forgive your family for past sins if you can. If they're around, forgive them. If you have fucked up and you're worried about the, the passing your consequences onto your children or your sin onto the children, talk with your children about your concerns, you know. Let them know to not, let them know you don't hold them to what you've done. If you're a pastor, you don't hold them to that expectation. If you fucked up, you don't hold them or think that they're going to fuck up because you do. They have their own choices. Let them know. Speak with a friend, a pastor, psychologist about these worries. Try to let these weights and expectations go if you can. You don't have to sin if your parents sin. You don't have to be righteous if your parents are righteous. You don't have to be a pastor if your parent, past, parent was a pastor. You don't have to be a saint or doctor or whatever. It's okay if you fuck up. It's fine. But know there's consequences. Try to act in love to the best of your ability. And know that no matter what, Israel, the whole cycle, they fucked up and came back to God. They fucked up, came back to God. God loves the fuck-ups. God loves you. So yeah, if you fuck up, it's fine. God loves you. There's going to be consequences, though. So do your best to act in love. But don't. Go around with the burden of guilt and shame. Don't go around bearing the weight of your family. Instead, choose Christ. His burden is light. His yoke is easy, as the Bible says. There's consequences to what Jesus did. There's consequences to what we do. As we all begin to speak to other people and our families and our friend groups about these generational sins and worries and concerns, you're going to feel a heavy burden lift away. You're going to see a burden lift in those around us. Our children are going to be able to flourish and live without worrying about our expectations or what the church thinks of them. Our churches are going to be filled with people who know freedom rather than guilt, worry, and expectations. Love will be felt.
Love will be shared, and people will prosper from the actions we take in love towards them. Guys, I don't want you to share this on your public social media account or anything like that. It might offend some people, you know. I use some strong language. We don't, our goal is not to offend anybody. We don't want to be a stumbling block for our brothers and sisters. Rather than share it on your public social media account, what I want you to do is find one friend or family member who you think could benefit from hearing this, that you could have a deep, meaningful conversation about these topics with. Share it with that friend. Talk about this. I think we'll all be better for it. Let's bring the church back to the common people. Thank you for listening. This was an Anazao Ministries podcast. If you enjoyed this show and would like to learn more about our network, go to the website in the description below. If you'd like to check out other shows like this, be sure to subscribe to the network.